Well, Joshua Harris, um, at the age of 21, made quite the impact on the Christian purity culture with his book, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Uh, how many of you read this book? Raise your hand. So some, uh, you know, I'm seeing got people more my age, maybe a little bit older. Uh, but this, this book sold 1.2 million copies, and it really made the concept of courtship versus dating mainstream in evangelical circles. Um, so Joshua Harris really became, at a very young age, um, quite a kind of a celebrity, uh, and he wrote a few other copies, uh, books that came later, uh, Boy Meets Girl, which is the story of his own courtship with his wife, um, and several other books uh, that were, were solid books. Uh, and then he became the lead pastor of a Maryland megachurch, Covenant Life Church, while he was still in his like, late 20s. He served 11 years uh, at this megachurch in Maryland uh, until he departed in 2015 for a seminary in Vancouver, uh, Washington, uh, Regent Seminary. So around 2016, Harris started reevaluating some of the content of his books after getting some feedback, critical feedback, from a number of people who said that it actually harmed their relationships. Um, some of that would have been uh, disappointment, um, thinking, hey, we did it all right, you know, we followed the checklist, and now we're, we're married and it's not just bliss, we're, we're struggling. Well, you know, um, welcome to marriage, right, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of ground control to, uh, you know, to, 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 you know, Major Tom, you, you know, we're sinners, you're marrying a sinner, right? Um, and, and so, you know, and again, there, there are some warnings there for us, maybe in having too much of a checklist, kind of maybe even a legalistic Christianity, that if you just, you know, X, if X equals Y, then, you know, it's going to spit out this perfect, you know, blissful result. Um, but anyway, he, he, after receiving some of this feedback, um, he really started kind of reevaluating some of what he, what he wrote. He spent about a two-year journey there. I think it was in 2018 or maybe 2017. He put out a, a video. By 18, he had repudiated his book and actually asked the publisher to discontinue um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. In particular, that's the book he was really known for. And then this last July, he shocked the world, uh, or at least everyone who was paying attention, by stating that he and his wife were divorcing. So, you know, there was plenty of folks noticing the irony of that. The guy who was, you know, at the age of 21, right, unmarried, but the, the expert in how to do a right Christian relationship, um, suddenly now, who did it all right, divorcing. And then just a, f a few days later, he um, announced that he had actually kissed Jesus goodbye, for lack of better terminology. Um, hit the next picture, if you would, guys. And this was the post. And you'll notice, you know, it's a carefully orchestrated Instagram picture here. Um, him st staring there at a tranquil mountain lake, kind of, you know, evolving to a higher plane. And here's, here's part of his post. He, he states, the information that was left out of our announcement, that is his divorce announcement, is that I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith 
and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. So, boom. So, tonight, there, I, w- I want us to look at this from several angles. Uh, perhaps, perhaps this shocked you. Um, you know, how, how do we deal with it? And this isn't just about Joshua Harris, by the way. Um, anybody who walks away from the faith, how do we square that with theological realities? And, and I don't want to just look at this tonight theologically, but that's the main way I want to look at it. I actually got five points tonight. But I want to be very open to whatever questions you have as well. So as I finish up a point, I'm going to ask you, do you have any questions or, or thoughts or comments? Okay, or cries of shock or outrage. Uh, please just don't throw any objects at me. That's all I ask. Um, but we want to start with the most important, and that is the- theological. How do we process the apostasy of someone that we've known to be a Christian for many years? Not just somebody who said, yes, you know, um, who said, Lord, Lord, but somebody who, I mean, we, we, we saw them living the Christian faith for many years. Um, is it possible that somebody could walk away like he has, say they're no longer Christian, but really be saved still? Or were they never truly saved? You know, these are the questions. And this is actually kind of easy for the non-Christian to answer. Okay, someone who's not a believer um, simply would look at this and shrug maybe, or maybe even celebrate a little bit. And say, well, they've, they've just gone through a shift. They've moved onwards in their spiritual journey. It's all good. In fact, if you notice the imagery here, it almost looks like, okay, he's, he's been on this journey, and I've reached this lake, and now I've, I've achieved another level of illumination. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. Ima- imagery, okay? That's, I think, my fourth point that I want to make uh, tonight. So it's easy for a non-Christian, uh, and actually it's also explainable by many Christians. It, it's, it's sad, but explainable. So if you're an Arminian, that would be someone who believes that you can indeed um, be a true Christian but lose your salvation. And there are a lot of Christians, our, our friends over at Crosspoint believe this. The Methodists believe that, that you can truly be saved and lose your salvation. You can backslide up until a point in which you actually lose your status of um, being a child of God. So you can lose it and then you can actually get it back. And so if you believe you can fall away or lose your faith, it's sad but explainable. Okay, um, It's a little bit harder. In fact, it's a lot harder for the Calvinist. Um, for the person who believes in the perseverance of the saints, this is a harder kind of situation to square. And probably, just raise your hand if you know someone who you thought was a Christian, who claimed to be a Christian, who no longer claims to be a Christian. So that, that's most of us. And let me just say, if you live life long enough, it's, it's going to be all of you. Okay? Um, I, one of my closest friends, named, a guy named Mike, went to college with him. Um, over the years, I watched him lose... His faith. And, but man, it's, I mean, it's, it's been a struggle on many levels. It actually has pretty much cost us our friendship um, because for years I tried to call him back to repentance and be a witness in his life. And, uh, and finally he basically said, um, you know, we're, no, we're not friends anymore. Um, so it, it's, it, it, it's hard, but it's also hard to square theologically. So I want to talk with you about the perseverance of the saints. What does this doctrine mean? And what, is it, what does it not mean? Well, the, the perseverance of the saints um, is basically he who began a good work in you will complete it. That is, a true believer will persevere to the end. He will not cease to be a Christian. So 
a real Christian cannot lose their salvation. This is the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And I want to share a couple verses with you just to help you understand why we believe the perseverance of the saints. John 10, 27 through 29, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I mean, that's pretty powerful. If, if it is God who is preserving our faith and our status of being his child, no, no, no one, not even ourselves, can snatch us out of his hand, right? Uh, Philippians 1.6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 38 through 39. This is such a blessed uh, verse. I can't wait till we get to chapter 8, by the way. Um, we, we may, you know, some of, some of, some of Romans, you'll, you'll note, I think is actually easier to understand, looking at it from 10,000 feet, okay? But other parts, like Romans 8, you've got to mine the riches of it. So, you know, we might spend a month, or we'll probably spend two months in Romans 8. Can't wait. All right, awesome, awesome chapter. But listen to verse 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, let me read to you the actual statement of doctrine that we subscribe to uh, in the Baptist faith and message. And we as a church affirm this statement about the perseverance of the faith. Okay? All true believers endure to the end. Those whom God has accepted in Christ and sanctified by His Spirit will never fall away from the state of grace, but shall persevere to the end. Believers may fall into sin through neglect and temptation, whereby they grieve the Spirit, impair their graces and comforts, and bring reproach on the cause of Christ and temporal judgments on themselves, yet they shall be kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. And we say heartily as a church, amen. We, we believe this. So where does this leave us with Joshua Harris? Someone who everyone clearly believed, and I think even himself, was a Christian. Now I noticed... Um, in, in this post, um, there were a lot of responses, and they ranged. <laughs> some of them were, you know, half intelligent. Some were, some were awful. Um, you know, good on you to fi finally wash your hands of, you know, all this stuff. Um, and then there were some, there were some uh, really sweet posts from Christians saying, hey, we pray, we're praying for you. Um, we, we love you, but we, we call you to repent. And then there were, there were some um, kind of knuckle-headed um, statements by some Christians saying, don't worry, Joshua, uh, you're still saved because you can't lose your salvation no matter what you do, right? To which he replies, no, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, the guy out of everyone would know the definition of a Christian, right? The guy was a pastor for 11 years. And he states, I can't call myself a, a Christian. Well, the, the perseverance of the saints, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is a two-sided coin. Now you notice, you haven't heard me say, once saved, always saved. And, and that may be the way that you have heard the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints 
summarized, right? Now, that is a true statement. Once saved, once truly saved, you will always be saved. You can't be unsaved if you're truly saved, okay? Uh, that is true, but it is not the entire story. And sometimes if you take one truth without other corresponding truths, you can end up living in a world of error, okay? So the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is a two-sided coin. And one side of that coin is that of rest. That is, once saved, always saved. In other words, believer, you will persevere in your faith. If you truly know the Lord, you are going to go to heaven. You are not going to give up on Christ until the end. All right? But there's another side of the perseverance of the saints that is work. And that is, believer, you must persevere. So I hope you hear that and think about that. So on one side of the coin, believer, you will persevere to the end because all who truly persevere to the end are truly saved. But the other side is, believer, you better persevere. You, you must persevere. And so let me share some verses that are the other side of the coin with you. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So, so here we, we Christians are to work. And we're to be, there is to be some fear and trembling, especially when people walk away from the faith. Jesus said in John 8.31... So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Did you catch that? The Jews who had believed, past tense, in him. If you abide. Well, think of a synonym for the word abide. Remain. Or? Persevere. Right? To keep fighting the fight of faith. You are truly my disciples if you Abide, And that implies that if you stop abiding, you really weren't truly my disciple. Maybe you thought you were. Maybe you were fooling everybody and you knew you weren't. Or maybe you thought you were, but you weren't. 2 Peter 1.10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Hebrews 3.14 for we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out, that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Okay, so there is this tension. There's this two-sided coin one, believer, you will persevere. The other side, believer, you must persevere to the end, right? Fight that fight of faith, right? So how do you know that you're a Christian? I think that's a question that we all ask when we think through things like this. Is it because of past faith? Do I know I'm a Christian because when I was six, I asked Jesus into my heart. I asked him to save me of my sins and I was sincere as I can best tell a six-year-old would be. Well, I think, I think knowing um, and remembering the moment of first faith, if you can, not everybody does, okay? And, and unfortunately, some Baptists will kind of put that on people and be like, hey, if you don't know exactly the moment you were saved, maybe you're not really saved. And I think that's a false, um, false thing to put on people. 
Okay? Some people, you might have been raised in a godly family where you heard the gospel from a young age. And you might not remember that moment of first faith, but you know you believe. And that's the point. Okay? The way you know you're a Christian is that you persevere in faith to the end. Uh, it's a marathon. All right? Not a sprint. So what that means is, and young people, I want you to listen here. I'm looking over at my son. Timmy, listen up. All right. The way you know you're a Christian, the way you know you're going to heaven, is if every day you keep calling out to him in faith and living in faith. I don't mean getting saved again. You're only, you only get saved once. There, there's one point in everyone's life, and some of us know exactly that moment, and other of us don't. One point where you go from being a child of, of darkness to a child of light. One point of regeneration where the Holy Spirit breathes new life into your soul, right? And, and that moment of, of where you first put your faith in Jesus. Um, but, the, but, but the way that you know that that was legit is by today believing in Him. So, you know, if today you say, I'm, I'm walking away, uh, or I'm going to keep believing up here, but I'm going to do whatever I want, right? Um, you really shouldn't have an assurance of faith. And there are people who have a false assurance because, hey, I walked an aisle 20 years ago, and, well, God knows my heart. And I mentioned that this morning. Yeah, oh, yes. Yes, He does. Okay? So what is going on here with, with uh, Joshua Harris? Right? This really leads us intellectually with two options. And God only knows. God only knows who are his. All right? uh, the first, which I think is the most likely, is that he was never truly saved. Because it is possible to think you are and to be deceived. You can have a lot of theological knowledge and not true heart transformation. I also think there's a second possibility here. And I think it's possible. I, I, I'm not holding my breath, to be honest with you. I don't, I don't really have a lot of hope here. But intellectually, it's possible to be saved, but in a very dark place to the point where you would actually deny your faith. And that's, that, certainly that can't last. Okay? I mean, that can't last. If you, if you go to your grave denying your faith, there, there's no way. Okay? Um, but, but there's a, I would say, a dis, God only knows his heart. Is there a possibility that in a month or two months or in a year, God will bring him to, a, to the end of himself and, and because he's really his child and he'll repent? I, I think that's possible. My experience, my observation with um, um, men in ministry who've turned their back on God, where, where they've gone off, the, you know, gone off the, not only the reservation, but really gone rogue, and where God has indeed brought them back, it's usually... Um, God's Spirit has often withdrawn His restraining power to the point where they have really gotten themselves in deep, deep trouble and pain to be brought back. You know? And it's really a, a sense of hard, gloves-off discipline. Um, and I pray, I pray that for him, that God would bring him back if he's truly his. Or if he was never his, save him. That's what we need to be praying for, right? What a trophy of grace. Um, I sent an article to you by Al Mohler, uh, and here's, I'm not going to read his whole article because that would take me the rest of the night. Uh, but I do want to read a couple paragraphs where he addresses this issue. And he, he says, can believers lose their faith? Can one ultimately fall away if one was genuinely regenerate? The answer is no. The Bible is very clear about that. Once one has been regenerated by the power of Christ, once one has become a genuine Christian and been united to Christ, nothing can separate us from Christ, not even our own sin. 
Reflecting the Bible, the historic Protestant confessions make very clear the biblical truth that even though after conversion and coming to faith in Christ, after regeneration, one may sin, indeed will sin, and may even grievously injure the church, it is impossible for one who has been truly regenerated to then fall back away from Christ and to be severed from him. There may even be, now listen to this, there may even be some who sin by repudiating Christianity. But if they ever were genuinely Christian, they will return by repentance at some point, and that is a gospel promise. If persons do continue in their repudiation of Christianity, then we have to remember the text, 1 John 2.19, where we are told that they went out from us because they were not of us, which is to say they were never truly Christians. They were pretend believers. And I'll just say, to, to Mueller's point, I think you can fool yourself which is going to lead us to another point in a moment. Jesus, and I'm quoting Muller again, Jesus also speaks to this in Matthew 13 in the parable of the four soils. There are those who show signs of life, but they eventually go away. Jesus makes very clear that they never were true Christians, and yet you also have to understand that means there could even be some who had risen to influence in the church. The New Testament is clear about this, who would later fall away, but they went out from us because they were not of us. John Piper, a few days after Josh Harris's announcement of apostasy, was at a conference, the Sing conference, I think it was, and he was asked for his take on all this, meaning for people who you know, we thought were believers who then walk away, and really the question was, can you, know, can you really know for sure that you are a believer? And his response, just his knee-jerk response was, I could commit apostasy and go to hell if, it's not, if it weren't for God, hold on to me at the age of 74. Piper said that every day he falls to his knees and prays to God, hold on to me. And, and then he said this, the remaining corruption in every human being's soul is enough to make money more precious than God at age 74 in the faith. Sin is that powerful. If you leave God out of the picture... God keeps John Piper, and if God takes his hand off me this afternoon, I will commit apostasy. It depends on him, not on me. Now that might sound a little fatalistic to you, um, but he's right. But that doesn't mean that we go passive. Like, okay, well, hey, it's on you, God. Not on me, so I can, all right, I'll just kind of, you know, do what I feel like doing. And no, he said, so Piper urged listeners to continually immerse themselves in Scripture and to cry out to God for keeping he said, if I'm going to believe, that is, if I'm going to keep believing, I've got to have the word. That's how he keeps me. That's the way we think in the Christian life, that there's this massive sovereign God who has chosen us before the foundation of the world, who has called us to himself, who will keep us. And so then Piper added, the evidence that that has happened is, are you pressing on? So, it's a two-sided coin. Believer, you must persevere, but there's rest for the people of God. Believer, true believer, you will persevere because he's going to hold on to you. So where does that leave us exactly, right? Um, those of you who are a little older might remember Ronald Reagan's um, byword when it came to dealing with the Soviets. He said, trust, but verify, right? So let me just... Let me just, um, let, let me just adapt that a little bit and say, rest in him, Christian, but verify by persevering. Rest in him, 
but persevere. It's a daily battle. You know, every day when I get, on, get up and put my shoes on, I, I, I once again have got to realize that it is a battle. And, and there's an enemy of my soul who would love to bring me down. And you have an enemy of your soul who would love to bring you down. And so you need to keep trusting and resting and, and faithing as an active verb in Jesus. To keep trusting him. That means short accounts with God, right? Repentance of sin and looking to Jesus every day, the author and finisher of your faith. Any questions so far? Yes, ma'am. So are you saying then that the person who ends up going down that slippery slope of, of sin and says they walk away, but then at some point is in so deep that they do repent, that that's a different category than what you were, what we were talking about, the two-sided thing? Or and There's only one category, right? I mean, for, for a true believer, we, we, we have to keep persevering. It is possible, um, I believe, and, and, and um, you know, just kind of going back to what Moeller said, for a true Christian because of sin, and we do sin. This is why we got to daily ask forgiveness of our sins. And, and believe me, I, I have written in the front of my Bible, this book will keep you from sin, and sin will keep you from this book. And I also have written in the front of, the, in, in the front of my Bible that... Let's see, where was that? The other Bible. That's what I have in the front of this Bible. My other Bible, my childhood Bible, says that sin will always take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay, right? And I've heard someone else say it costs you more than you want to pay, right? So I think that maybe answer your question. Um, I believe it is, and God only knows the heart, and God knows the end from the beginning. So I would say to a sinner, to, to to a human being who has repudiated their faith, I would not give them any assurance of their salvation. I would not say, oh yeah, don't worry, you're good. God's going to bring you back. Uh, and people will say that, well, you know, I'm going to live how I want now and then before the end, I'll, I'll you know, uh, right before I check out of here and kick the bucket, I'm going to, you know, come back to him. But that doesn't show a heart that, that trusts him at all, right? But does the heart that repents at some point, is that, are, are you saying that's a, that it can be the real deal saved person? Yes. Yes. I mean, again, God, that may, it may be that that was a person who never truly, you know, they had an intellectual knowledge, but they truly had never yielded their heart fully in faith to Christ. So maybe that that's their moment of salvation. Or it may be that they really were his, but were in a very dark night of the soul, we'll say, you know, in a time of rebellion in which they were quenching and grieving the spirit, and God had to discipline him, even by removing his blessings from and, and the, the intimacy of a walk. From their life until they, they hit rock bottom to, as, a, as a means to draw them back. And we may never know which, which it is. And it doesn't really matter. What matters is they're, they're, they're his, right? So, um, so let's stop and pray right now for our, our friend Joshua Harris. Let him who thinks he stand take he lest he fall. So we're not here to uh, condemn him. And by the way, does anyone have control over the thermostat? I don't know, is it warm in here or is it just me? So could one of you deacons go fix that for us? Um, at least I'm a little hot up here. Maybe, maybe it's just me. You know. All right, let me, let me pray for Josh. Actually, Bart, would you pray for, for Joshua? We are um, sombered by this. Thank you so much for, the, for your word and for the clarification that you've brought so, thus far from Troy. But, Lord, it is a very heavy subject to, to think of and to know how I so appreciate what um, 
what Troy said that Piper said, that uh, he prays every day that you would hold him. I pray that for all of us. I pray that for me and for those in my family. But, Lord, I do pray that you would bring Joshua Harris to repentance, that you would bring him to saving faith if he doesn't know it. What a miracle and testimony that would be to see that at this point. I pray that you would restore his marriage. I know there would be severe backlash if he did that at this point, but Lord, we, we know that you can do that. So we do pray, and I pray that we would be faithful to continue to pray for him and also for those around us who, who don't know you as our Savior. As I think of a Rosaria Butterfield, who Troy talked about this morning in ABF2, what a, what a story of uh, transformation you've wrought in her life. I pray that you would do the same for Joshua here. You are the same God. We know that you're powerful enough to accomplish that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, I, that was just point one, but that was the big one. Uh, second question that I have is, how do we process the apostasy of a pastor? All right? I mean, you know, you're wondering, well, were, was he like a wolf in sheep's clothing all along? Um, and, I, and I just want to say this, uh, because this happens. Pastors walk away from the faith, and it... And it it, it really hurts a lot of folks when they do that. Um, I would encourage you to believe the best about their past motives and intentions. Um, choose to believe sincerity. Um, in fact, we should love and pray for Joshua Harris, as we just have. And, and I would say even respect his honesty right now. Okay? Um, there was an article that I noted. Uh, I was actually kind of shocked when I read about his divorce and, and, I mean, I you know, hadn't thought about Joshua Harris in years, but boom, I, I, I got that. That was like in mainstream media, you know, Fox News or something like that. And, and, uh, and so, you know, went a little deeper and noted, saw a, an article in a magazine, a liberal magazine called Sojourners. So this was after his announcement of divorce and right before his announcement that he had um, walked away from, his, from Christ, Okay. Um, and, and so, basically, this is after he's repudi- repudiated. He's actually kind of repenting for his book, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. He, he had expressly apologized to, to the LGBT community for what he called hate towards them and, and asked their forgiveness. And, by the way, he's now marching in gay pride parades and that kind of stuff. Um, and so they asked him, well, um, what do you mean? You know, because he, he hadn't yet said he was no longer a Christian. And so they're like, well, what exactly are you repenting from and repudiating and, and all that? And so he responded by saying, I think there's a push by some people to say being sex positive means the kind of the historical sexual ethic related to sex outside marriage, related to homosexuality, is basically laid aside and embracing a healthy view of sex means just accepting all that is fine within the Christian tradition. All that as, as is fine within the Christian tradition. But here's where he continued. I do think, though, that for me, in that change of interpretation of such a fundamental level when it comes to sexuality... It's just hard for me to, in a way, it's almost easier for me to contemplate throwing out all of Christianity than it is to keeping Christianity and adapting it in these different ways. Does that make sense? So here he is. He's been a pastor. He knows what God's Word says. And there are plenty of, quote-unquote, Christians, liberal Christians, who say, hey, no problem. Culture's changing. Um, Gay marriage is now okay. So let's just adapt the Bible to say that, that this is kosher now, right? Let's reinterpret it. And, and he was honest enough to say, I can't see doing that because that would, be, that would 
be gross violence to the text. So for me, I, it's all or nothing, basically. And sadly, he chose nothing. So in a sense, I do think we should respect his honesty. We, we grieve for his loss of faith, but we should respect his honesty. Uh, so here's the real question, though, maybe. If, if maybe you're struggling, maybe it's not this. Maybe you've had a pastor in the past who's disappointed you, who's walked away from the faith. And here's the question for you. Are you looking to Jesus or to a man? Hebrews 12, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, here are the three words I want you to remember. Looking to Jesus. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if, let's say, Dr. Moeller or John Piper or David Platt or Tim Tebow or you pick your kind of Christian hero, that Christian that you have on the pedestal, uh, or your mom or dad, or your pastor renounced the faith. It should disappoint you, but it should not shatter your faith if you're looking to Jesus, right? Be sure you're looking to Jesus and and not to men for your faith. Be encouraged, but not dependent on the faith of other people. Okay? I mean, we need one another. And, and you know, I, I really love, and you've heard me say this before if you've been around Rocky for a while, the, the illustration of, of um, burning embers, right? And, and so you have an ember after a, you know, after a fire and it's burning out. But when you push those embers together, they, 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 there's a flame that's rekindled. And that's, that's how our relationship should be. So we should be stoking and encouraging each other's faith, but our faith must not be dependent on other people's faith. It's got to be dependent on, on Christ. You've got to look to Him alone. Does that make sense? As a Christian, all of us, we ought to be able to um, be teleported to, say, Pakistan or to the most godless place where there are no Christians around and for your faith to be intact, right? Or let's say, sadly, Europe where most people in most European countries today, where it's like way below 2% Christian, right? Uh, let's say London, England, where, where the vast majority are total agnostics, atheists, um, and, and, even, and are even starting to really scorn evangelical Christians. Like, you know, they just can't, they look at you in disbelief. Like, how can you be an educated woman or man and believe this stuff, okay? And you ought to be able to live in that culture and still love Jesus, right? So we need to encourage each other and, and we, we, we want that, but be sure that it's, your faith isn't dependent on the faith of others, but that it's a genuine faith, a genuine walk with Christ. And, and you need to know that pastors and missionaries, they, they struggle too, um, sometimes deeply with their faith. All of us are in a battle together, persevering in faith together. So don't attach your confidence too strongly in any human being. Don't put any pastor or missionary or, you know, Christian athlete or Christian celebrity or someone who wrote a great book up on too much of a pedestal, so much so that you're attached, so they fall, suddenly you start questioning reality. 
Does that, does that make sense? Look to Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. Um, I, I remember as a missionary in Afghanistan walking down the street, um, so surrounded by lostness. I mean, it was, at the time, as far as we best understood, there might have been 500 Afghan believers in the whole country. So I knew that statistically, every single person on the street was, was going to hell. And statistically, not one of those people had ever once heard the gospel. And as much as we were trying, we, you know, we really weren't able to share nearly as much as we would have liked because of security and because of all the, you know, all that we were trying, building relationships. And I mean, we rejoiced when we got an opportunity to share the gospel, right? Um, so I remember starting to despair because it, I was so overwhelmed by lostness. I'm like, unless God really changes things, Every one of these people is going to go to a crisis eternity and never have the chance, unless something really changes. And, and our efforts seem like a drop in the bucket, like they're going to hardly make any difference. And, and my problem was that I was a Calvinist. I was a sovereignist. I'm like, God is in control of all this. He set it all up. And I started struggling. like, why, God? Why, why do we have a place like this? Now, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of good answers. Um, the sin of humans? <laughs> Disobedience of the church to get the gospel there 500 years ago. Um, a lot of stuff, right? A lot of, you know, you know the, 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 the fact that God has not created robots, but given us free wills. But I, but I, I still struggled. I struggled with that. And I, I had to come back on my first furlough and sit down with my childhood pastor and said, I got some questions. And so um, when we sat down together, you know, I want to talk about hell. And, 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 and. And, and I wanted his take on all that. And so he had booked the whole day. And after about two hours, I'm like, hey, I know this is going long. He says, no, I figured it'd take all day. <laughs> what a good man. God used him, and God used the struggles and even the doubt to deepen my faith and confidence in him and strengthen it. All right, any, any questions on that? Point two. What about when pastors blow it? Just look to Jesus. Make sure you're looking to Jesus. Be encouraged by others. Be, you know, but, but don't, don't let that destroy you if others fail. All right, so number three. Um, all right, what then do we do with the teaching of pastors who, who fall? And I, I don't want to take a whole lot, long time on this one, but what if it helped us? But then a pastor who, maybe, maybe you got married by a pastor who's no longer walking with the Lord. Or maybe there was some discipleship material. I mean, I know missionaries whose pastors inspired them to go to the field and then walked away from the faith. <sighs> what then, right? Um, well, I would, just, I would just point you to the, the story of Solomon. Okay, Solomon wrote the book of... Do we read that as being helpful? Yes. Is it part of the Bible? Was it inspired by God? And then did Solomon walk away? Like, was he the wisest man who became the biggest knucklehead in the world? Yes, right? So did that then invalidate the truth of, of Proverbs? No. So if it aligns with Scripture, believe it. It's the truth, right? Um, God uses fallible people to, and if it lines up with His Word, to sometimes give us some very profound and helpful tools. Now, um, I think a lot of good, let's put the picture up, guys, um, in the back of uh, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Let's go back to that one. Um, 
I think there were a lot of, and being that not everybody here read it or was impacted by it, we won't spend too much time on it. Um, but I think that overall this book had, so had some good, solid overall tenets. Um, a lot of good came out of it. This idea of, I mean, for sure, the basic tenets that, that, hey, God has made one man for one woman in a marriage relationship, and when you're single, you should be keeping yourself pure and being faithful to your future wife or husband. That's a biblical tenet. That's, that's awesome. And there were some other things in the book that were very, very helpful. In fact, Beth and I didn't do the normal kind of dating thing. We actually did what we might call courting, although I couldn't really bear to say it too much because it sounded sanctimonious, okay, or courting. That just sounds, okay, I won't say it. It sounds sanctimonious. It may be a very good idea. Kids, if that's what your parents think you should say, that's what you ought to say, all right? Um, but, but the tenets of it, before we actually started a relationship beyond a friendship, I actually wrote her dad a letter and asked his permission and said, hey, the, the whole point here isn't just to goof around. Um, I'm, I'm serious about exploring whether this should lead to marriage. I'd like your blessing on that. And I remember sitting there on top of a waterfall in North Carolina with this letter burning a hole in my pocket. I was going to show it to Beth before I mailed it to her dad, make sure she was cool with that. And I kept delaying it for a long time. You know, I was sitting there pretty scared. Finally pulled it out and, and you know, um, it had a good, she, she, she gave it the thumbs up. Um, and thankfully he did too. Built a relationship with a family. That, that, those are very good principles. You're marrying a person, but you're marrying a, into a family. And God has given us parents, especially if you're a Christian um, and you're young and you have Christian parents who love you. Um, you, you, you. You are under their spiritual authority. So a lot of good came from the book. I mentioned before, some people stated that they were harmed. And, and I think that really came from a, a couple things. One, you know, there's always a little bit of a danger when a 21-year-old writes the definitive word on dating relation, or relationships, right? 21-year-old guy's never been married. So there are a lot of great principles, but sometimes you can maybe go a little too far. And so, you know, I think if I recall, you know, he was saying things like, you know, you shouldn't hold hands until you're married. Um, uh, whenever a man hugs a woman, it should always be a side hug. Uh, some things that might be good ideas, but you got to be careful because when you start writing them in stone, you can't take account for all situations or all cultural situations. And when you take it too far, you can end up legalistic and you can end up in situations where you're wrongly criti criticizing people for not breaking God's law at all, but for not doing it your way, right? And so we've got to watch out for the legalism there or the critical spirit. There were some back in the 90s who were being, some Christians who were being critical of other Christian couples because they were dating and not courting. And, and, and so then you can have a spirit of what we're talking about this morning, right? Judgmentalism. And then there were some who expected nirvana if they just followed the checklist and then discovered all of a sudden one day, uh, one morning, that they were married to a sinner. <laughs> it's just the beginning of an adventure, right? All right, so <clears throat> I want to move on here to a, um, a fourth point, and, and this isn't a big one, but um, I think there's something to learn from this whole saga, maybe a cautionary word about imaging. When you, let's get the picture back up there, brothers, if you don't mind. Right, um, so when you see that picture, right, I mean, this is, you know, it's a book, and generally book, co book covers are supposed to sell, but there, there's some clear imaging going on, right? This is... You know, in the 90s, uh, maybe the lapels are a little wide on the, the jacket. But the idea kind of here is, here you got dapper guy who's kind of too cool for dating anymore, and he's moved on to the next level. 
So I, I kiss dating goodbye. Go to the next slide. Here we have some very, this is what I'm going to call the I kiss Jesus goodbye picture. Right? And we got imaging going on here as well. Instead of forgive me, um, for I am devastating your faith to a whole lot of Christians out there that he's pastored or led. Instead, it's basically a, hey, be happy for me. I'm moving on to a higher plane of consciousness. There's imaging going on. When I was um, in college, my senior year, I was part of a kind of a leadership team of students, and we had this guy named Dick Walker who was on faculty, um, was, was kind of a kind of our, our mentor, and he took us on this trip. We went to a couple different cities, did some service projects in these different cities. But on the trip, he gave us this jacket. And on, on, the, on the arm of the jacket, there was a C over I. And we we're like, it's a cool jacket, but what in the world does C over I mean? And he had brought along one of the Bible professors at the college um, who ended up doing a whole devotional series as we were on the bus. So every day we'd get another devotional, or I think it was morning and evening, but it was all on character over image, right? Um, and this is back in the, that was the early 90s. Character over image. And in our day of social media, image is a big deal. And, it's, and it, it, we're all projecting an image. I mean, you know, it's the perfect cake, right? Or the perfect vacation or the perfect whatever, you know, backyard, and, and, and so, you know, it's at fall. I mean, I, I don't think, look, and I, I, gotta, I had it when I was thinking about this, I had to check myself because I'm not that interested. I mean, if you want to see what my normal daily life is, here's a desk and a bunch of books, you know. Um, or here's a guy looking perplexed at me, you know. Or, you know, so I'm not that interested in, in those images, but I'm, when I'm, you know, on a mountain climbing trip and you see some beautiful sunset or something, you, you want to share that. So there's nothing wrong with sharing the perfect cake or the perfect vacation picture. But we want to be careful that we don't start living a lie or trying to project image all the time. And this, even if you disavow social media, you never look at Facebook again, um, even in the church, it is so easy for us to put up an image um, of kind of the, the, the person who's more godly and holy than you, you really are. And do you think pastors struggle with this? You bet. Do you think celebrity pastors who are, you know, in their 20s and suddenly are, are leading thousands of Christians, you know, so that if they're struggling with their faith or, or, or struggling because someone who's been angry has, has criticized them uh, and, and, and it, you know, but they got to keep it bottled up and project an image and that can, that can destroy you over time. So we all need to be sure to be real and not put on an image with each other. That will actually help us in our perseverance in faith, if we can be real with one another. Now, that doesn't mean that you confess all of your sins to everybody. There's an appropriate time. But I, there, there's somebody that you need to be able to confess all your sins to. Ultimately, that's Jesus. You only have one high priest. But you need an accountability partner, an encourager, maybe several in your life who you can truly be transparent with. And then even in our general culture, the, the more we can be real with each other, and the more we can avoid this, this image thing, I think the more we'll be able to grow in our character and in our perseverance in faith. Any, any thoughts on that? Just something I noticed. thought about the book. I thought about the pictures of a couple of his books, and then particularly the going away picture. Um, 
instead of like a brokenness for hurting a lot of people, um, it's this, this, I mean, that, that's carefully crafted imagery right there. Same with the divorce announcement. So let's all beware of that and, and watch out for that and, and strive for authenticity, for not images of authenticity, millennials, okay, but for real, you know, the right kind of coffee or whatever, you know, but no, I mean real authenticity with each other. All right, last point, and then we're going we're gonna to be done. Um, you know, Harris pastored a church for 11 years um, during a lot of turmoil in church life. And I, I looked into this a bit. Some of you may know more about it than I do. Um, but his church, Covenant Life Church, was the flagship for the Sovereign Grace movement. And actually, there's a lot about the theology and character of the Sovereign Grace churches that I really like. Okay, I mean, they've put out some awesome songs. Uh, th- there's a whole lot that's great. In fact, I've got C.J. Mahaney, who was kind of the guy who, the pastor who started a lot of that. I've got his book on humility. I've got a couple of his books in my office, but I love his book on humility. Now, sadly, um, in the late, actually mid to late 2000s, about 10 years ago, some of the folks who worked with him in the church and some of the parishioners of the church accused him of the opposite of humility, okay? And, and there was some fallout, actually a lot of fallout and turmoil and a group of dissenters and people who left who posted all kinds of stuff online and accusations and a whole lot of ungrace of Christians. And as I best understand, Joshua Harris tried to really kind of listen to both sides, okay? After Mahaney left, he invited the dissenters over to his home to listen to them, okay? And he took it from both sides. Some, you know, some on both sides appreciated him listening and trying to be a peacemaker, but he got attacked viciously by both sides. And so I could see him after 11 years of having to project this image. Now, I don't know what all went on in his heart. Um, I, I can't tell you all of the reasons why he walked away from his faith. I really don't know. But I, I can tell you this, that he, in 2015, left the church, and I could certainly imagine him wanting to run as, as far away as possible because it, he, he took a lot of hits. Um, and he did. He, he ran geographically far away. So keeping in North America, you can't run any farther away. There's a lot of great seminaries here in between, but he went to Vancouver, Washington from Maryland. Okay, to Regent Seminary, which is really more of kind of a, a mainstream interdenominational seminary. And he actually stated that uh, he was kind of coming from a, an outlier stream of evangelical Christendom. Uh, and he was kind of running to a broader interdenominational seminary to broaden his views and to connect with a wide stream of Christianity back in 2015. That, that's what he was, his statements were. So here's the whole point of that. Okay. The man went through a lot of ungrace from Christians who were being really mean. I spent a couple hours going in and kind of diving into it a little bit and finally realized, you know, it was a bottomless pit, right? Um, but th- this whole thing, um, th- you know, th- there was a, they brought some mediation group in back in maybe 2011 or something like that. And they spent months and, you know, maybe a thousand man hours meeting with all sides and outside group. And their conclusions, they found some things that the elders did wrong, some things that the dissenters did wrong, whatever. But at the end of the day, they're like, we've never seen so much hostility between Christians before. People were in their living rooms with clenched fists and raised voices stating that they weren't upset over things that happened years before within the church. So brothers and sisters, be nice to each other, okay? 
Be nice to me. Be nice to your elders. Um, it has eternal implications, whether you're mean or nice. I'm going to end with that thought. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. All right, any, any, any questions? I, I did say bring your questions, so we've had one so far tonight. Or thoughts? Yes, sir. Owen. Um, I don't know how to, like, um, word it, but uh, I'm trying, I mean, I'm thinking that um, he pastored the church for 11 years, right? Yes. And uh, when I look at that, in my mind, I'm thinking he's seen a lot in Christianity. He has seen the power of God. He has seen, um, he has seen love, you know? And now I'm trying to look at that and also taking me to one of the most crucial scriptures concerning uh, the doctrine of uh, salvation, which is uh, Hebrews 6, uh, verses um, 4, going up to, I think, uh, I think, see, let me just think a little bit, really quick. Forgive my accent. That's beautiful. Hebrews 6, 4, you said, Owen? Okay. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, be brought back to repentance, because to their laws they are crucifying the Son of God. God over again, subjecting him to He's been, you know, enlightened to the power of God, the love of God, you know, he has seen the grace and all that. But now, like looking at this scripture, like how difficult it is for such people. And, and I'm not saying that it's impossible. I mean, did it, did it, I mean, it's impossible. It's, I mean, it's like difficult. So I'm not saying that it's impossible completely, but um, the Bible is just saying that it is very, um, actually, let me just call it once again. I mean, not over. Shall, shall I read it for you, Owen? Verse 4? Is that what you wanted to read? I want to look at uh, whether it has used the word impossible. impossible. It is impossible for those. Yeah, it's used the word impossible, not difficult. So I'm just trying to look. I mean, how do you, like, marry his, I mean, his situation? I mean, not judging, but just his situation with this scripture. Owen, you bring up the one verse that I was hoping no one would bring up tonight. Thank you very much for that. And what I have to say in all honesty and transparency is at this point I am not able to properly answer your question. I'd have to go back and do some more study with this in the context of, of, the, of the issue we're talking about. But I actually did look at this scripture today 
this afternoon, and I thought, no, I don't think I'm even going to go there. <laughs> but the bottom line, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So, yes. That verse falls right in line with, with your answer to my question. You know, that if someone who professed to be a Christian falls away yeah. and then repents, right. maybe then you said that maybe that was really when they got saved. Correct. And so that would support that. Yes. Yes, it would. Yes, Denise? Well, it, and it also says for those who have shared in the Holy Spirit. And you haven't shared in the Holy Spirit unless you've truly been right. saved. Right. So. Yes. There's a lot that has been written on this on this verse. I don't know that I could do it justice tonight. But who do you know that's that young, you know, wrote a book at 29 and passed 21. I mean, and pastored a church at 29 or 28 or mm -hmm. whatever. And I mean, that's a lot of, um, yeah, pressure and a lot of prestige on someone who may not be mature enough to handle it. Yes. And, and, and once again, that's where um, we, we want to be careful um, to not put people, you know, the, the whole celebrity pastor thing and putting people on pedestals um, can be very unhelpful. Yes, sir. Jim. That was your best point tonight. Josh Harris is just a guy. He wrote a book that people watched and made him famous. He didn't come up with biblical principles for men and women's relationships. He just repeated what he was seeing in God's Word that a lot of people had already known. So for us to, like, me too, be shocked, but at the same time, he's just a guy, and he's not my God. That's right. Amen. And you know what? I'm just a guy too. And you know what? So are you, the half of you who are male homo sapiens. <laughs> or you're a gal. Right? We're pilgrims. Right? We're, we're pilgrims. And, and so we got to pray for each other. Yeah? Any, any, other, any other thoughts? Yes, ma'am. Well, this is good. Now we're, we're, we're going here. Well, what the statement that you said, John Piper, said, and I wasn't, I didn't quite follow that very well because you said that he prays every day that God would not let him go. Yes, that God would hold on to him. Mm -hmm. But, so, I guess my question is, if he is praying that God won't let him go, is he praying that he won't lose his salvation? No, he, he's praying that he would prove at the end to, to truly be a believer. Now, there's a huge difference between the two, and yet functionally there's not a whole lot of difference between the two, if that makes sense. Meaning, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints says the true believer will endure, and it's impossible for a real Christian, a true believer, to lose their salvation. But that's because they will endure. Someone who's really saved will endure. Okay? Someone who says you can lose your salvation would say, well, a Christian who stops enduring um, goes to hell, right? Um, you know, stop, stop, stops being saved. So theologically, there's a difference. But functionally, there's a warning to all of us to not let go, right? And, and ultimately to keep asking him to not let us go. So I don't believe John Piper's statement is one of pacifism saying, well, because God is holding on to me, there's nothing I can do about it. It doesn't really matter. Okay, no, he's saying, no, I pray daily, Lord, keep holding me. Because I know my flesh enough to know that I'm a knucklehead. 
I'll lust after money or I'll lust after, you know, I could depart the faith. And I, as your pastor, I recognize that too. Um, I, I, I'm a step away from disaster if it's not for the Holy Spirit. And so I should quench not the Spirit. And, and that's why we have the, the daily disciplines. In other words, as Christians, we're to not just kind of sit back. We're not on a cruise right now. We're in a battle. Yes, sir. I think it's, it's, it's uh, helpful to remember, you know, when Paul, well, the verses you, scripture, you referred to in Philippians, both those verses show both sides of the coin. And so we want to remember both sides of those coins. Yes. Walking that, that path. And, and we see both sides of the coin frequently in Scripture. Yes. Um, sure. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Right? There, there's a number of tensions in Scripture that are not contradictions. They are tensions that we, that we are to hold. And, and you can choose to embrace one side and, and then end up in error, even though what you're embracing is truth. But if you don't hold it in tension with, with the other side of the coin.